Igram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nullcast. As always, we will thank our title sponsor, Louisiana Hot Sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Look, been with us since uh, since the day one. I put it on pretty much everything I have throughout the day. Uh, we're fortunate to be able to pair with them and great leadership they provided the Nullcast. Uh, a lot of different things we're going to talk to, but the you know we'll start with the NFL draft, kind of let that way let that uh, work its way through the podcast, and then we'll get into some good listener questions, as always. Excited to do, do one of these, bud, and uh, let's jump into it. Excited to be back with you, man. Re- really good show we have on, on deck here tonight. I just put this in our sheet before the show started, and Ingram liked this. We're going to do this, and, and you guys can play along at home in the audience, uh, but we're going to do an NFL draft look back, and we're going to give ratings on a one-to-five scale, with five being the most surprised at a player going where he did, uh, and one being the least surprised. So some of these will probably not be a whole lot of disagreement. Some of them will probably be some, some decent uh, disagreement. And we're just going to kind of explain why, banter about the player, uh, and compare them to what our thoughts were in the prior episode. So uh, you want to go first? Asante Samuel's up 47th pick overall, Los Angeles Chargers. I, I was really happy for him, by the way, like to, to go to a team with a couple of Knowles on it who have a really great reputation, especially with new coach Brandon Staley for using defensive backs. Well, they're, they're one of the most you know, sort of modern cutting edge schemes that they run. I'm, I, I'm excited for him. What, what number did you put on this? I would put a four here. I'm, I'm honestly surprised he didn't go a little bit earlier. Um, I thought he probably would have gone somewhere between 30 and 45, uh, maybe even 30 and 40, but you know, just, when it gets to a point like that, it's all about team needs. One team doesn't take a DB. You can slide a couple extra picks down. So uh, by no means surprised. Certainly share your sentiments about being really excited for Asante. Hey, it's pretty cool to get coached uh, by kind of a young, sharp mind, uh, get paid to play ball and live in L.A. That's, uh, that, that's not exactly the worst thing to happen to a kid. So great to see Asante land where he did and wish him the best. Samuel is an example of a guy who handled adversity as far as on the field pretty well and continued to be a professional in his approach. And I think NFL teams can really appreciate that. I'm going to go with, with a three. I, in looking back at my notes from the last episode, I had mostly saw uh, or had mostly seen him going in mock drafts uh, between like 24 and like 42. So this is maybe like five picks later than, than that expected range, but not, not crazy. You know, just, I don't know, mildly surprised that, that, that he dropped as far as he did, but but good for Asante. In, uh, and the draft was so interesting this year, and I don't mean to take us off, uh, off course, uh, and, and by no means am I a draft expert. It's May 4th. And it's, it's May 4th. Uh, we, we, we can definitely, t- we, we, if you want to go, go on a tangent, we can do so. You're right. Uh, but when I did talk to people who I consider draft experts, I mean, they said, you know, look, there's, Depending on how you look at these kids, there's somewhere between 12 and 16 really elite prospects. And then kind of that group between 20 and 45 is going to be, you know, as much to the eye of the beholder as it's maybe ever been just because of limited access, everything else. Um, So I can certainly see where, you know, you kind of get thrown into a little bit of a random simulator during that part of the draft where uh, so many different prospects, but kind of similar grades a uh, little bit of lack of knowledge on everybody. It doesn't surprise me necessarily that he slipped a little bit, but you know, still a great, great place for him to land, and good to see him go in the first half of the second round. That that makes a lot of sense. All right, what is your rating? 
One is the uh, least surprise, five most surprised for Janarius, going 134th to the Minnesota Vikings. So I, uh, of the two of us, I was always fairly bullish about Janarius getting drafted. I, I had a couple friends in the NFL who uh, had both remarked to me that they were really impressed with his senior bowl performance uh, and that they, you know, one franchise kind of came back from Mobile with the idea that they were going to have to basically do a whole nother reevaluation on him because what they thought they knew going in didn't, didn't really pair with uh, the way that he practiced. So I was bullish in the idea of him getting drafted didn't think it would be quite this early. I mean, I'll, I'll put a good four, <laughs> almost a four and a half on this. Uh, the fact that he went at 134, um, yeah, that was surprising to me, definitely. I, I thought probably one pick, you know, pick from 180 down would have been more kind of where I had Janarius going, going in this draft. I'm going to give this just a straight five because I've, I can name you the people who have been fooled by Janarius's talent before. John Papuchas whoever was coaching defensive ends for Jimbo at the time. Try to remember who was coaching DNs for, for Willie uh, at, at the time, Mark, you know, Mark, Mark Snyder. And then uh, what's his name of coach Clowney, Bud Elliott also fooled as a recruit guy. Guy is just dripping with like the frame is ridiculous. He does work hard. It's just, there's not that burst off the edge. Typically. And for me, I mean, I, I I was watching him at camps in 2015 and 2016. I'm thinking, all right, this is going to be great. Now, he, I guess he still has that ability. He hasn't suffered any sort of injury that would make me think he doesn't still have potential. I I just haven't seen him realize any of that potential. He, he wasn't really much of a playmaker at Florida State, and he played a lot of snaps. It wasn't like the next guy we're going to talk about who was constantly hurt and, and maybe had some reason why you thought, okay, well, he just has to get healthy to, to make it click. So I'm, I'm going to go five. I, I If he had been picked, uh, pick 200, pick 220 or something like that, maybe. But And I know there's not a huge difference between fourth round, seventh round, for the most part, as, as far as building to stick on a roster. It, it all kind of bunches up a little bit. Uh, there's a stats term for the curve here, and I'm it, it's not coming to me at the moment. But yeah, man, I'm going five here on on, on Janarius Robinson. That was that was surprising to me that he went where he did. If they make something out of him, first of all, kudos to Janarius, but also kudos to that Minnesota Vikings staff. That is very impressive, and I always like Janarius talking to him as a recruit. So I, I really hope that he, that he does well. That's not me knocking him as a person or work ethic or, or anything like that. I don't think he was ever you know, really a huge problem or anything. The, the production just never came close to matching any of the measurables. Funny you say that uh, as we move to one gentleman by the name of uh, Joshua Kando. So 144th pick, Kansas City Chiefs, you know, again, uh, Robinson and, and Kando are very different players, but sometimes get grouped together for obvious reasons like position group. But also both of them are you know, they're the, they're the ideal people that you want walking off your bus first. I mean, they, they look like they are football players carved in a lab. Um, Kane Doe, former eighth overall uh, prospect uh, from, uh, uh, I think that was a combined rating uh, perspective, super talented prospect at a high school, regardless of where he was landed um, on the service. But uh, 144th pick, I will say uh, this is about a four or four and a half for me as well here. I thought Kendo would go um, when we talked about him last week. I think, I think I thought that ultimately all six of these guys that we'll talk about 
would be drafted at some point. But again, this was about a round and a half earlier than I thought uh, Kane Doe would go. This is probably, so, so you went four, four and a half. So I'll go like two and a half, three, I guess. You know, th- this was slightly before where I thought he would go. But for Kendo, it, he at least does have some some bursts off the line of scrimmage. And, and I think even though Janarius played a lot more snaps than Kendo did, I thought that the flashes that Kendo had uh, were suggesting of a higher level than, than J-Rob. Now, I could be totally wrong on that. And the injury question is not nothing. I mean, he's constantly, constantly hurt. But everybody says he's a good guy. He's a hard worker. He stuck it out. He's got his degree. He wants to, like, he wants to be a, a, at last check an orthopedic surgeon when he gets done playing in the NFL. Hopefully, that's not for a while because he does, he will have a long NFL career. But I I can see if you're an NFL team, you're sitting there saying, "Look, this guy's flashed some some real upside. Not much, not or not often, but some flashes are are, are there. And look at him. And if we could just get him to stay healthy for five or six games in a row, think about what what might." Uh, what might might become of him for us? So, I I can see why the Chiefs would would do that. I, I was much more surprised about where Janarius went, just because I feel like we, we know who he is as a player a lot more. We've seen twelve. How many snaps do you think J. Rob played? Twelve hundred? Yeah, probably somewhere in that area. Like a lot more than Kendo ever played. How about next, how about the next guy? This is an interesting one. I I I really didn't know what to think about him because I didn't know what the medicals would say. So Hamza Nazaldine, pick 186, the New York Jets. Uh, I'm going to give this about a three. I mean, this is kind of right in line where I thought Hamza would be talented prospect, a guy who, if he's right, has a chance to have an eight to 10-year career, in my opinion. Uh, but a, a guy who obviously suffered the injury, didn't have bad tape necessarily once he came back, but didn't have tape that would necessarily assuage any concerns that a franchise had either. Uh, so yeah, this is, this is kind of where in my mind, I, I thought national being would fall. That's, that's fair. I ultimately, did, did you see the, uh, the, the, the jets talking about him? Um, I think he's probably going to end up being a linebacker for them. I did see that. Yeah. That's definitely where the sport is going. Like you, you can play line, you can play safety in college if you want, but given how, how much passing matters in the league and how much the league is just going to passing, 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 uh, you're, you're definitely not going to stick at safety in the league if you have that kind of size. So an interesting takeaway, certainly. Um, I'll go with, with a three because I really wasn't sure what to expect. I, I Not that there's a whole lot of mock drafts that go past round three, but um, he was sort of in that group of you know, could be drafted, could not be drafted type thing. But most people, I think, did have him getting drafted. So this is, this is fair. Maybe I should actually say two. Um, I, I hope he's able to stay healthy. And he was a damn good player for them down the stretch in 2019. Okay, so um, we move to the undrafted. Marvin Wilson ultimately signing with the Browns. <laughs> yeah, right. To Marion Terry, I believe he signed with the Seahawks ultimately. So uh, Marvin, on a scale of how surprised I was, to see Marvin go undrafted, I would say I was right at about four and a half or so. Again, very surprised. I mean, not... Uh, I thought Marvin ultimately would be somewhere around the back end of the fifth round, maybe sixth round pick, you know, but I've been real fortunate with being able to do this 10 years, blah, blah, blah. There's been very few subject matter where I've ever been hesitant to talk about or information that I haven't 
given you the listener. Uh, Marvin Wilson kind of became one of those over the past couple of months. If I'm just speaking very candidly to you guys, uh, there's some who kind of want to take any information about Marvin and spin it into this, uh, <laughs> into this narrative and on, on kind of both sides of the issue that aren't really great and not something I necessarily want to engage with, whether you're being critical of Marvin, people think you have an agenda. If you try to speak favorably, people will think you're trying to spin some kind of agenda. I'll just say this long-winded way of getting to, um, to, I think his social media post uh, from, from April of last year hurt him. Uh, I think the bigger hindrance in him getting drafted was this year's tape. And uh, I'll just say this candidly. I had a, a friend of mine who works for an NFL franchise tell me that his senior bowl performance was, quote, exceptionally disappointing. One of the worst performances they've seen from a guy. Um, and that that was enough to take him off their board. Not because of a tweet, not because of anything else, but because a guy had exceptionally questionable tape in 2021, or excuse me, 2020, and a senior bowl performance that left a whole, whole lot to be desired. Technically in 2021 as well, because the senior bowl was in the new year. So you weren't wrong. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I'll go with the five. Uh, I, I was not privy to the information you had there uh, about some teams just totally Xing him. Um, but obviously, every team Xed him eventually. We just didn't know it. I absolutely think that the bigger issue was his play on the field and the condition that he showed up in to the senior bowl. That is the most important thing here. If he played in 2020, like he played in 2019, he could have made a, a social media post about Mike Norvell every week. And that would have cost him some money because I do think that NFL teams don't like if you criticize the coach, whether you're right or not. But if he played like he did in 2019, he's still getting picked. Because in 2019, he looked like an impact guy. I was of the belief that teams were going to overlook what he did in 2020 to a certain extent. And it would cost him, obviously. like We knew he wasn't going to go, go in the early rounds, but we thought he would still get picked, or at least I did. Because they would say, look, he's definitely flashed the ability in 2019. We know he had some injuries there in 2020. Uh, but I, I think you're right that maybe there was some lack of self-awareness on his part about uh, maybe what his actual draft status was and the way he showed up to the senior bowl was no doubt disappointing. Five, but it's still a five for me because he did flash that talent. And I think that the, the contract that the Browns signed him to is indicative of that, right? I mean, they gave him a really nice deal for, for a UDFA. Now that's still a UDFA. You don't want to be a UDFA if you can help it. At the same time, he does still have some ability, and I hope he's able to go and, and do well. I mean, I've you know, covered Marvin for, for a long time, met him several times as a recruit there in Houston, and you know, never, never really had an issue with him. Uh, I agree with you, by the way, that it sort of is being blown up on both sides. The people that think the social media posts are the reason he didn't get drafted, I think are wrong. And the people who think that, that they had absolutely nothing to do with it are also most likely wrong. The, the truth is almost certainly you know, somewhere there in the middle. But if you show up for a job interview and look like that, like he looked at the senior senior bowl, not prepared, that's going to get you not hired. Especially in a year where there's really no other chance to do evaluations. 
I mean, that, that's the, it's the bad year to have a bad year at the Senior Bowl. No combine. I mean, you had pro day, but yeah. or a bad showing at the Senior. Bowl. And he had some real bad tape during the year. I mean, G- Georgia Tech pushed him around some. Jacksonville State pushed him around some. I think if you're an NFL team, you say, "Wait a second, like, what kind of shape is he in to start the year? What kind of shape is he in to come to the Senior Bowl?" And there was always a little bit of concern that he's kind of a even at the best of times he's a little bit of a tweener, right? I mean, he's not a super physically powerful guy, but he's not like exceptionally explosive either. I mean, that was always that even last year, that was probably going to be uh, a little bit of a concern for teams who had the chance to do a full eval. But yeah, surprising not to see him him get picked at all. Also, you remember when uh, when he got that first round grade? I do remember that. Yes, <laughs> I do. Do you? Because I don't think NFL teams do. You remember how much shit we caught for, for saying that was BS? I remember that we got a decent amount of pushback. And, I, and yeah, and I, I think to an extent, people, you know, when you get a kid who decides to come back, you want to celebrate that. And, and for rightful reason, I, I understand that. But, you know, I, I think it had Marvin gone out last year, he probably would have been a third round, a, a, a mid to late, late second uh, to mid third round pick. I think there still would have been. Some of the things I talked about as far as a little bit of a tweener, some things like that. Uh, but no, I don't. Not a real big impact pass rusher, which is what, what the league wants anyway. Like the position is being devalued quite a bit if you look at it, right? I mean, I think they had, was it three interior defensive linemen in uh, in the first 100 picks or, or something like that? I, I need to go back and look at my notes on that. I, I did some for the Cover 3 podcast and for an article I'm writing, but. Uh, the, the position of defensive tackle is is largely being uh, devalued. It, in fact, it's some of these kind of high-level thinkers in the NFL, and we'll see how long this lasts, but they're kind of inviting teams to run the ball now. Like, they want you to run the ball against them, which for 150 years of, college, of football, that's not been the case. But now they realize how much more explosive you are through the air how much more damaging those explosive plays are to give up. And they're like, yeah, just go ahead and run it. I mean, this is literally what the Rams did with Brandon Staley, who is now the DC, or rather, he was the DC with the Rams, but now he's the head coach of the Chargers. So final kid that we have to talk about is uh, Tamarian Terry. So, or Tamarian Terry. That's good intel by you, man, on on, on the senior bowl of of just how teams just said, now we're we're, we're not dealing with this. Uh, Two and a half or so. I, I did think he would get drafted. I thought he would get drafted late. Uh, because he, he does have a one trick, but it's a pretty good trick. And also, um, he had, he's, you know, flashed some on special teams. That's, that's really why I thought he would get drafted because, uh, he had shown an ability to be kind of flexible with, uh, you know, being a gunner and, and doing some other things. So, um, a little bit surprised, but yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's a, there's some tweets here, uh, not that we need to go back and, you know, relive every bad moment a kid had. There's some tweets here. There, there's some off the field things that would have gotten red flagged uh, with with Terry. I mean, there's there's a, you know, there's a decent amount of things when you look back in hindsight. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised. It's a one for me. I, I didn't. I, I really was not thinking he was going to get drafted. Uh, maybe maybe late late uh, day just because of of you know some of the other non-football stuff, and he've also only had one trick. Basically quit the team. The NFL will put up with a lot if you're a superstar. If you're not, it won't. I think I've told this story before, but a buddy of mine's best friend is a safety in the NFL. 
think he's still in the league, but he's been in the league for eight or nine years now. And he was not a high draft pick, but he's a reliable player. He plays for a team that makes the playoffs quite a bit. And he's a sometimes starter, sometimes reserve. And, and he told me, we were at dinner one night. He's like, look, bud, I'm always worried somebody's going to come and take my job because my team always ends up drafting somebody to come take my job. But the defensive coordinator loves me because I'm a professional and I'm more of a backup nowadays. And that's okay because they don't need me as a backup, as a non-star to go in there and win the game for them. They just need me to go in there and not lose the game for them. So I show up on time before everybody else. I have my playbook memorized. I know all of our checks. I can play a couple different positions because I work my butt off as far as studying, as far as making sure I know all the assignments. And the hotshot rookie they draft oftentimes comes in a little bit late and, and thinks he's got it locked up. And then all of a sudden, it comes down to me or this other guy, and they're not going to cut the hotshot rookie. But if he's not a high draft pick, maybe they will. And in this case, they keep him, they keep me, and they, they cut the other guy who, who's just hanging on by a thread. That's how I've got nine years in the league and, and, and have a vested pension. Terry is not in that superstar category. He's in the category of the backup slash dude hoping to make a roster. And they're just not going to put up with that kind of stuff from that level of player. If you're a really, really good player like Tyreek Hill, they'll put up with whatever the hell you want to do pretty much with a couple notable examples in the league. So yeah, for, I, I guess for me, it's kind of a one, maybe one and a half. Three former Knowles. Ended up getting drafted from other teams. Two of them on the offensive line, Landon Dickerson, Trey McKitty, and Josh Ball. We were pretty high on uh, on Dickerson relative to, I think, other people who covered the program when he left, if I recall. Now, he had some major disagreements with, with how some things were being run. I think some of those were actually, he was wrong on. I think some of them he may have been right on. The main thing is he got healthy for long enough at Alabama to be able to be a contributor, which was huge. And we always knew he had five-star level talent. That's basically what he was graded at coming out of high school. So I, I'll say surprise level of him getting drafted is probably like a one. Not not surprised. I'll just I'll finish up this string and then you get you give me your your disagreements here. Trey McKitty getting drafted where he got drafted to me is like a four four and a half. I was very shocked at that. Josh Ball, I, incomplete grade. I really didn't see him getting... I, I, didn't, I didn't really pay attention to where he was going in mock drafts because he, he wasn't a high pick. So, I, Did any of those really surprise you? What, what do you think about that? No, they did. Well, Trey McKitty going... I, I'd have the same about the same grade that you did. Four, four and a half. He went earlier than I thought he did. I mean, the production at Georgia, that's... That's cool if you can get drafted in the third round. And, and it lets you know that, you know, people certainly looked at this year, but different evaluation process than previous years. Uh, Dickerson going where he went about where I thought uh, ball like you, I'm not going to say that I put a ton of thought into him getting drafted. Uh, I mean, you know, you've, you've got to do what's right. And I, and I think in retrospect, Florida state did, but gives you an idea as to why, you know, some would have tried to fight as hard as they did to get Josh ball back on the roster. Well, absolutely. But you know, he had quite a bit of pretty serious off field stuff. So, if you're in Orvale, are, are you able to take and use any of this stuff as, as, as lessons to your team? This stuff, meaning mainly the fact that two of your better players didn't get drafted. Or how about the positive angle? A, a, a guy who's like five foot eight and a half, five nine in, in Asante goes as your highest pick. 
Uh, I think that you can probably do more <laughs> in a in a public setting. I think talking about the lessons of Marvin and 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 Terry with kids. I think uh, you know, in the words of John Hamm from Mad Men, pretty pretty delicate but potent. I mean, I think you that may need to be more of a um, a one on one conversation. Uh, yeah, the old the old uh, carousel scene, great scene from TV history. Um, I don't think you could do that in a group setting just, just because maybe the way that that would be perceived or that you would maybe be, you know, kind of vaguely threatening kids that if they don't do what you want to do, they're going to go undrafted. But, you know, maybe can you call a kid into your office and have a more, uh, maybe the, a little bit better chance of the message landing based off the fact that he just saw two guys who were, you know, kind of deemed the premier players on their side of the ball not get drafted. Uh, yeah, that, you know, that may be able to be used to, at some point down the road. I think you're right. You have to be very careful. But you probably can message some of it as, well, here's the problem is you don't want to tell kids that you told NFL teams don't draft these guys. And I'm not saying that's what the staff did because I, I kind of don't know. Um, but we do know that certain times coaches will tell teams not to draft guys. In fact, do you remember Adam Schefter doing this or reporting this in 2012? Uh, vaguely. With EJ and Jimbo? That's right. Yeah, I do remember how, this. How pissed Jimbo yeah. was that word got out. So he said uh, Jimbo Fisher was glowing about EJ Manuel as a man, but very open and honest with teams about how limited he felt EJ Manuel was as a quarterback. There's, that's a tweet I found there from, uh, from Schefter. So here's, a, our, here's one that says... FSU coach Shimbo Fisher reportedly told NFL teams that he didn't think Manuel should be more than a third round pick. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly the report I'm, I'm referencing there. Okay. Look, I don't know what what this staff told NFL teams about it. What do you think? Uh, like, use use some common sense. You know what I mean? Like, like the one guy kind of got quit the team slash kicked off the team. What what do you think they're going to say? Yeah. Um, just to go back, I'll I'll give our listeners the. So Buffalo certainly can't blame Florida State coach Shimbo Fisher for overselling it on quarterback E.J. Manuel, uh, Schefter said on Sunday NFL Countdown. He was adamant throughout the pre-draft evaluation process that he didn't believe Manuel had tools to be an NFL starter and he shouldn't be better than a third-round pick. That's a pretty honest evaluation of, <laughs> of your kid and makes it kind of all the – I mean, I don't know. We are going kind of all over the place, but both – both the places where Ponder and EJ went were both, I'd, I'd give them, you know, if we were to just redo the drill that we did five minutes ago, I would have given those like a six and a half or so. Those those were both shocking to me that they went as high as they did. But uh, yeah, you can certainly have really honest conversations about some kids. And like you said, in some situations, you may not even need to have that conversation. You know, kid was booted off the team, et cetera. You can kind of draw your own educated conclusions. Exactly right. All right, man. Uh, one thing that we are certainly not going to give a bad endorsement of is the legendary Home Loans team. Shannon and Chad do an awesome job. They just sent us was it two emails or three more emails this week as far as new homeowners, new people going through the refi process, closing. Congrats to all of them. Shirts are, are headed out this week. 844-FSU-LOAN. Find out why more than 150 NOLCAST listeners have decided to make the decision with Shannon and Chad in just, I think we just hit three years. That's that's a ton, man. The numbers don't lie. 844-FSU-LOAN. It's great rates, customer service, knowledge of the industry. They work with you throughout the entire process. I've gone through the process twice, my home loan and my refi. 
I was actually just looking at another house the other day. Give, give, give Shannon a shout. Say, what's up? Can you pre-qualify me for this amount? Awesome. Let's do it. 844-FSU loan. Give them a call. Tell them we sent you. Very much appreciate the, their continued support of the NOLCast. And with that, uh, we, we got a little recruiting chatter to get into, I think. Another house the other day, bud. My little peanut brains finally finally managed to uh, remember your current address. So uh, you know, you got to give me got to give me time before you go using our friend Shannon and Chad over there and be bopping around the greater Orlando area. So my my wife does valuations for a living um, for a uh, high net worth insurance company, right? So it's like if your house, not not the real estate, just just the house, the rebuild value is like five million and up. And she goes out and makes sure that it's insured for the correct amount. And so she does you know, quite a few celebrities' homes and whatnot. And uh, comes home with awesome ideas about how we should remodel our house. And I'm like, yeah, well, we're not going to put it in an ice bar because I'm a podcaster, not a you know 20 year Major League Baseball uh, all star, no, not a music producer. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyway, but th- yeah, there was another house she liked and it, it had a little more land than we currently have. So I was just taking a look at it and uh, it's just ultimately uh, it's important to have somebody on your side like Shannon and Chad because you want to be in the race if you if the house you want to get goes for anywhere near what you think it should go for. If you go in 50000 over ask and you don't make the final five, then all right, you tried. To that end, uh, one Nico Marchio has announced that he's... Uh... <laughs> going to officially visit West Virginia here. So there certainly seems to be a tenor change uh, from one uh, Mr. Marchio as far as his uh, projections or where he sees himself playing. I'm, I'm not saying he's going to decommit or decommits, you know, imminent or anything else, but certainly seems to be a, a change in tone. One of the things I like about this podcast is that if we talk about a subject matter, we're fairly confident about it. We're not just going to blow public smoke at the time of a commitment and say, hey, these two guys are best friends, blah, blah, blah. They look forward to competing against each other. Um, no, I, I, you know, that's not the case and not something that I'm going to tell you. We'll just see how this this situation plays itself out. But, uh, you know, wouldn't shock me if Florida State's not down to one quarterback commit at some point in time. I would agree with that. In fact, we addressed that at the time. And we noted that Marchio was not really, at the time rather, of, of the recent commitment. And so when, when AJ committed, Nico did not put a whole lot out there on social media, which is fine. He doesn't have to, right? But it was a little bit of a notable change because he had been recruiting pretty heavily on social media for the class. So w- when you when you see that sort of drop off in sort of active Twitter recruiting, and that corresponds pretty well to the time that, that AJ committed, makes you think. I'm not guaranteeing that he will decommit. I'm not guaranteeing that he will be in the class. I'm not real confident that he's going to be in the class. But a lot of this, I think, depends on how much does West Virginia want him. How good of a year does he have as a senior? He didn't have a good junior year at all. Like FSU liked him, I think, because either they've seen him in person or some people they trust have seen him in person. And he did have a really nice sophomore year. There is some talent there. The production last year was not there. Part of the way we're going to, part of the way this thing will figure itself out is just how how nice of a year does he have? FSU is not going to stop recruiting other quarterbacks, by the way, if indeed Nico is going to uh, going to go ahead and, and visit West Virginia. Like that's they, they, they shouldn't. I'm sure they'll still continue to talk to MJ Morris. They, they they have a guy who 
in my opinion, is a better prospect right now in AJ. It doesn't mean Nico's a poor prospect. He's just not quite on the same level as far as production and uh, physical talent. But he's not a bad player by any stretch. And FSU certainly wants to keep both in the class from what I understand. It's just, it's hard, man. QBs, they, they transfer once they get in the program. They oftentimes decommit and go elsewhere, especially when, when you take a second one. I do know that FSU has been very upfront as far as saying, hey, we, we plan to take two players so or at this position. So at least there's that. Uh, but yeah, I, if you had to put a percentage, I don't even know if you want to, because like, what, what are the factors? How, how do we even determine this? Like the percentage that chance that Mark Yo's, it actually ends up in this class. 30%, 50%? 35%. Yeah, that's yeah. where, that's where okay. I put it. I think that's probably fair. And and to me, I just, even if I set the percentage of that, I wouldn't like bet based on that. Like if you gave me you know, three to one, I might take that just because, okay, like it's recruiting. It, it's not a, it's not always a science. There's a certain bit of art and there's, there's humans involved in this and teenagers and they can be unpredictable at times. All right. So we'll move to the next uh, point of conversation regarding uh, recruiting. So look, we, spoke recently about the fact that you had the kid out of uh, Leesville that was going to be committing the Jaron Willis kid out of uh, Leesville slash Albany, Georgia. Uh, Ultimately, he goes to Georgia Tech. When we talked about this on the previous podcast, uh, we spoke about uh, the prospect, but also that this would be a, you know, decent little kind of (laughs) barometer as to where we are. you know, long story short, I realize there's some ideas that maybe the kid wants to play safety. Yeah, I would just, you know, I don't know. That's a safety linebacker kind of similar ideas in the modern game as to what you're doing. I would think that that wouldn't be too big of a hurdle for you to overcome on the recruiting trail as far as pitching a kid as to what his responsibilities and what you try to get him to do and get him ready to do on Sundays. Um, but I, I don't want to minimize this. This is not... Uh, there's a little bit of a disturbing track record at linebacker right now and, and the lack of success on the recruiting trail. And this is a, yet another example of it. Yeah, I would say uh, that you're exactly right there. This is disturbing if they were not able to, to get him in the boat. It's not over. You know, this, this is still going to play itself out. And I, should not, I don't mean to interrupt you, but he's going to take visits. This is not a you know, wrapped up deal. Um, but it's, it's still, it's a kid got to a point in his commitment to where, or gotten to a point in his recruitment where he felt commit, comfortable making a commitment. He made a commitment to Georgia Tech, not Florida State. Right, exactly. Now, he is going to be uh, taking all, all these official visits, as you said, and I think this is pretty far from over, if I had to guess. We'll also have to see how the season plays out. And he has somebody uh, with FSU and Jamie Robinson who you know, played for the same high school. I know FSU's tried to do a pretty nice job Recruiting Willis, he is absolutely one of one of their top targets. If Georgia Tech is recruiting him as a safety, and, and that, that's that's where he sees himself, if I'm FSU, I would use the the recent Homsen Ashfieldian thing, right? So look, hey, we 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 played Homsen at safety. You're already a lot bigger than Homsen was, and the NFL is immediately talking about moving Homsen to linebacker. College is about being prepared for what you want to do at the next level. Now, Georgia Tech and Florida State can both both prepare you to do that. But man, playing safety, is that really going to help you play linebacker at the next level? Probably not. You're not a safety at the next level in any way, shape, or form. It's just not a, not a thing. That's not reality. 
I agree with you though. I mean, their linebacker recruiting, I I gotta see if uh gotta see if Marvin and those guys can get a little more a little more juice on the trail. We'll we'll see what happens with it. it. It's a little it's slightly concerning in a class that otherwise I feel like is punching way above its weight class relative to the season you just had, the lack of I think knowledge that a lot of kids still have about who this staff is because they've never been able to meet them in person and the, the lack of hype around this team going going into the year. Now, you can say that's Travis Hunter, and there's a decent bit of, of that that is correct. Yes, Travis Hunter is the reason you have McCall in this class. He should be listed as like the sole recruiter for McCall with, and maybe not the sole, but certainly the primary. But we got to see what happens with this. It's not it's not guaranteed that they, that they end up with a nice linebacker class, and they should have more traction with these kids. I think just based on uh, based on all the playing time they have to sell. So, uh, Jaleel Skinner's the next prospect we want to talk about. Uh, large, six foot five, wide receiver out of Greer, South Carolina. Bud, what are your thoughts, sir? What did you want to bring to our listeners' attention regarding Skinner tonight? Yeah, so uh, AJ is actually doing a nice job recruiting him. Uh, Travis Hunter is is also involved here. Now, I have a crystal ball uh, for Skinner to the Gators um, from back on crystal ball day when we were told, hey, like put in some crystal balls that you feel okay about uh, on, on 217, which was you know, the day that, that all the crystal balls went in. Now, my confidence level on my crystal ball is a four on a scale of one to 10. I know that, that Tim Brewster has a good relationship with him. I know he's very high on the Gators and how, uh, how they used Kyle Pitts. Now, he is a tight end, ultimately, in my opinion. I mean, he's six foot five. 210 pounds already. The lines between receiver and tight end are kind of being blurred ultimately, right? I mean, what's a tight end? What's a receiver? If he's a tight end, he's not one of these guys going to line up with his, like, and as an inline guy with his hand in the dirt. He's going to be more of one of these sort of move tight ends, if you will. But FSU is, is more in this than I, I think I realized, largely because of, of the recruiting efforts, I, I believe, of some of their current prospects. He will visit Florida State at some point. I went and checked my crystal ball just to be sure when I saw some of these reports and said, okay, like, but I realized I already had a, a four with my crystal ball rating. So I didn't really need to drop it down you know, that much. Clemson is still uh, certainly in this one, but Florida State is more in this uh, than they were three months ago when I put that pick in. So I may lower that a little bit more and, and we'll have to see you know, what ends up happening with Skinner here as he makes all these visits. That's good news though, man. Yeah, that's good news. Yeah. Hearing that you're involved with a kid like that is, uh, is not bad news at all. Now I won't make the, the lazy comparison to the Falcons fourth overall draft pick, but, uh, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. That is kind of where the game is headed. And, uh, Skinner would be a, you know, a exceptionally exciting piece to be able to add to this offense. Uh, if that were to work out, no doubt. All right. Uh, what do we have next? So, uh, Let's see, we got listener questions, bud, that we'll go to. Uh, before we do that, we'll thank our friends at Congruity. I uh, was emailing with, uh, with uh, our friend Jonathan, the uh, owner of Select Shades over there that's uh, become a Congruity customer over the, over the weekend. And uh, I thought, honestly, that part of his email did as well, uh, describing Congruity as anything that I could do. So I'll read it real quickly. Ingram, hope you're well. When I first heard you mention Congruity on the Nolcast, my ears immediately perked up. We had been with a well-known large payroll provider for four and a half years. However, I always thought they were just mediocre. As a Seminole 100 business that was doubling revenue each year, I thought we needed a more robust suite of payroll and human resource expertise. 
Uh, as when you mentioned congruity, it sounded like a potential perfect fit. And Matt and his team certainly delivered. I love how they listened to every concern I had with the previous provider and have taken it upon themselves to address this uh, immediately. Being able to email Matt and talk about the Nolcast, Seminole Athletics is another plus. I would have not found congruity without the Nolcast. And I'm very grateful that they brought you on as a sponsor. So uh, congruity has been nothing but a fantastic addition for us. Uh, a couple other uh, people have since signed up. I believe they just signed up with another business in Tallahassee that we'll talk to you about in time, but Congruity, uh, just a fantastic partner for us. And we certainly believe they could be as good of a partner for you. 844-247-4100 or reach Matt at Knowles at congruityhr.com. All right, man. Uh, so Brett's question here. Uh, first, same as last year, does anything stand out to you from the draft that might affect current former Knowles in the NFL? So we're, I guess the first part of Brett's question here is, is draft picks which might impact former Knowles in the NFL. I don't off the top of my head. I was trying to think of something similar. Um, I do have FSU's all-time draft picks list, so that, that could probably help. Uh, Carolina didn't take a defensive end early, so Brian Burns should be fine. Derwin James, obviously not really in danger. Derek Naughty, not in danger. Honestly, guys, I this is not one that I've been thinking about too much. I'll Google this a little bit more after the show. Maybe we can include it in the next episode if there is something there. Certainly, everybody's going to be you know, fighting for positions at, at one point or another. Um, Auden Tate's still in the league. I, I know we mentioned him last week on the, uh, the, the stat about Jimbo and his wide receivers. The Broncos took a corner with the first round, so DeMarcus should be fine. Anything stand out to you here? I'm trekking the Steelers uh, with what they did at linebacker. That's the only other thing I wanted to look at. Uh, he was uh, so Vince Williams, by the way, was released on March twenty or March sixteenth, and then signed a one year contract with the team again on April fifteenth. So they brought him back. So that's been a good fit. Certainly, I get the feeling that it may not last too much longer. But uh, man, I'm just thrilled that Vince has had the career that he has and found the longevity in the NFL that he did. Because he he's got to be vested. Worked his rear end off. He, I certainly think he is. Yeah. No, I think you're talking about a full um, full pension there. And that's pretty significant. So, good for him. When uh, w- w- when I'm at these seven-on-sevens and these guys who have you know, retired from the NFL, it's weird It's weird to use the word retired with dudes who are like 28, 29 years old. But that's basically what it is. They, they retire from the league. They ask each other, like, did you get the pension? Did you vest? That, that, that kind of thing, right? Because you have to be in the league for a certain number of years. You have to play a certain number of games. Pretty cool. That's all, all awesome for Vince. So the second part of Brett's question here. Just to interrupt, I don't know why the first, uh, they did take a fourth round pick with a linebacker, an inside linebacker. So, uh, you know, that could potentially be viewed as Vince Williams' uh, replacement. But that's, uh, just wanted to correct what I said previously. Gotcha. Always endeavoring to be factually accurate here on the NOLCast. Uh, second part of Brett's question. Give it Wilson and Terry going undrafted. Does this provide us any further insight on last year? Were their injuries possibly worse than we thought? Does the NFL now look less favorable on guys who opt out early? Or is this a condemnation of how NFL viewed FSU as a team, although they did draft four guys? Um, so this is sort of interesting points Brett brings up which I think we touched on some of these in the earlier part of the show, but the, the part about opting out, because Terry, I guess, technically opted out, right, the last two games, um, if in theory, you could call it an opt-out. 
the NFL absolutely does not give a damn if you opt out, if you're a no-doubt first-round pick. In fact, I played this game the other day on Cover 3. I don't know if it got, got cut from the show or not, but it was, it was interesting. Cover 3 is the national pod I do. There's a couple guys who I feel like if they opted out right now would still be automatic first-rounders in, in, like who are current college football players. So, Kayvon Thibodeau, I think, has already shown enough at Oregon. Derek Stingley at LSU. Maybe the uh, Ekwanu kid at NC State, the offensive lineman who pushes everybody around. There might be a couple more I'm forgetting, but not many. And we saw that too. Like the guys who opted out, who were stud studs, they really were not impacted by opting out. They, they still went very high. If you opted out and you were not a guaranteed stud like Jamie Newman, uh, he went undrafted, didn't he? So it can be a big deal. Like, and I think part of the, and you don't want to say this because of like COVID and all this stuff, but I'm going to say it. I guarantee you NFL teams look at this as this guy overestimates himself. He thinks that he's better than he is and he doesn't have to work anymore because he opted out. Well, yeah. Newman would have been better off never going yeah. to Georgia. Just, uh, you know, and, and obviously things changed. And But that was more perceived as a kid who went to Georgia, realized he wasn't going to be a starter and then that was how he made his way to be in and an opt out. Uh, but uh, we'll move to our second question here. Uh, this comes from Hunter. Hunter says, I see, uh, <laughs> I see reviews of the null cast saying there's a decent dose of negativity on the show. Uh, I appreciate the honest insight provided and wouldn't change a thing. So to appease the naysayers for this entertaining question, I want you guys to have some fun, put your quote Homer hat and on. Uh, and drink some serious garnet and gold Kool-Aid for a few minutes. When the season ends and you are looking back on a 9-3 and three season, only losses are to Clemson and then two of uh, UF, UNC, Miami, Notre Dame. What are the here is why reasons, i.e. Jermaine Johnson had 10 plus sacks, etc. Uh, despite the homer hat, uh, try and keep them as realistic statements as possible uh, for something that could actually happen. I know that it's dreamy. Uh, I fully expect a six and six type season. Uh, but if you can dream as a fan, then what is the point? Or if you can't dream as a fan, then what is the point? So a great kind of uh, creative question here, Hunter. Uh, look forward to jumping into it. This is a fun question. I, how should we break this down? I kind of think, and I'm, I'm scribbling some stuff on my, my, pad, my pad right now. How do you want to do this as far as like, do we start with things that need to happen to FSU and then go to things that need to happen to opponents? Yeah, that's that's probably a good uh, that's probably a good way to go about it. Uh, the first thing that I'll throw out there <laughs> is that one of these offensive linemen that makes their way into the portal needs to do so and then make their way to Tallahassee, uh, and preferably as talented as a lineman as possible. I can get with that, or the current offensive line just stays one hundred percent healthy, which basically happened in twenty thirteen. One of those two things. If you're going to get the nine and three, which is again not realistic. Uh, that one of those two things definitely needs to happen. All right, my turn. I'll go with one. You need to have parchment be the real deal. If they're recruiting him to come in here and be be the the wide receiver one. I think he needs to be the wide receiver one from day one. If you're going to somehow get the nine and three, Andrew Parchment, your, your transfer portal receiver for those of y'all who are not familiar, he needs to be the real deal like from day one, which is tough because. You know, he's, he's, he didn't make it in for spring. Yeah. Yeah, you, you definitely need to have, uh, you know, 2019 parchment and a guy that's, uh, you know, ready to go. So, 
Uh, I would agree with you there. Probably, you know, I was I was going to say something at wide receiver as well, uh, whether it be McLean or uh, or one of the other freshmen immediately bounce on the screen uh, on the scene. And and to be fair, from the two guys that you have on campus so far, uh, there's there's reasons to be optimistic about what you may get from them. No doubt. All right. Um, you see, defensively, I'm going to go with Kier Thomas, staying healthy and 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 being the dependable guy that you need him to be on the edge. You, you need somebody else opposite of Johnson. If you're going to buy in, like, there's various opinions on Johnson. Some people think he could be a first-round pick. Not really buying in on that. Uh, some people think he can be a good college football player. That's me. Give the guy more snaps. He did show really nice flashes at Georgia. But opposite of him, you need Keir Thomas to be uh, a quality football player for you. And he's shown flashes of that in his time. He's shown flashes just being an average guy. Uh, but if he can be a quality football player for you and stay on the field, that's a pretty big deal. So I, I'm going to go with that because he, he can make a difference in games. Robert Cooper wants that NFL money and wants that NFL money and puts together uh, an absolute, you know, uh, really explosive year, at least for the type of explosive uh, play that you're going to get from Cooper. So really rounds into an absolute run stopper, uh, disruptive enough in the pocket, uh, but really raises his level of play to the point to where he's, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of a different player here in the year that he's trying to get his paycheck. I like that one. This one is sort of neutral. It, it impacts hip issue, but also the opponents, I, I guess, if I can go with this. You need to have close games go your way, luck-wise. If you were to somehow get to 9-3, and three, you probably need to be 3-0 and in one-score games, 4-1 and in one-score games. I think that's fair, right? I certainly do. Yeah. This is fun. I enjoy this. I'm going to throw another one out. Uh, one of your five stars uh, in the secondary turns into a five star. So whether it's uh, whether it's Dent, whether it's Tate, whether it's Travis J, uh, you know, one of these guys that were all world out of high school turns into that guy and turns into a, a really dominant player and explodes on the scene. I think that's fair. Linebacker, you got one here? Just... Maybe Emmett. Oh, here's one. Emmett Rice is not as hurt as as, as we fear. Uh, yeah, that would be that would that would certainly help. And uh, you know, Dix gets a lot of flexibility, fluidity, and uh, you know, turns into the prospect that the people think he can when he flashes. But yeah, yeah, Rice has got to be healthy. Uh, that that's a you know, I realize the position is certainly not nearly as impactful as it was in the game ten or fifteen, twenty years ago, but. Uh, you know, linebacker is a is a concern for me. Regardless, uh, linebacker with a Emmett Rice that can't consistently get on the field is significantly a concern point for me. I would agree with that. All right, now let's talk about opponents here. If you get to nine and three, is Miami one of your wins? Uh, well, I was going to say you either you either I don't, I don't know how I started to use the term ambush. That's not the right term, bud. Maybe you can come up with it. But you catch Notre Dame. Uh, game one, night one. I mean, that, that I think is a absolute must have to get to nine wins. Sucker punch, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's probably fair. I mean, nine wins, we're talking about three and a half wins over expectation. Nine wins is about as likely as, as I don't know. I was going to say it's about as likely as two and 10, but I don't really believe that because of how the distribution works. I, I, think, I think nine and three is about as likely as three and nine, realistically here. But if you're going to get there, I, I think and I'm not wishing injury on a kid, obviously. 
but you have to sort of have, I'll just say maybe Derek King's lack of, of, of fall or uh, summer practice with, with the team really impacts Miami's offense or something like that. Is that fair? Yeah, I can sign off on that. I mean, you could, you know, look at a situation where you try to, you know, you, you would in the three UNC Clemson, maybe travel to Florida. Those would be your three losses. So you'd need to, Get the aforementioned Notre Dame game, the Miami game there in middle of November. You need to have them uh, fall, but yeah, that's uh, Derek King. Either just uh, not as not as functional and uh, as much of a contributor as he was last year. Just maybe a game where he's got a sore shoulder or some kind of uh, minor temporary ailment that keeps him from playing uh, would not break my heart uh, by any means. No. Um, other things here. Maybe Dan Mullen to the NFL early, right? <laughs> I don't know if he leaves midseason, you go coach the Cowboys. That, that, that could certainly impact that game. There's some teams on the back half of the schedule that that I think are really, really good, but might have some some sketchy depth. I don't. I think Boston College is an interesting game right now. I think it, but she's probably a very slight underdog in that game. But I'm not convinced they're going to be much better than FSU is. So getting that one as a close game, like, like I said. But the main thing is the first thing you said. FSU's backups on the offensive line can't play a lick, specifically at tackle. If they are pressing the duty, you're not going to go to a bowl game. If you're going to get the nine and three, those guys need to play every single snap of every single close game, basically, and play well. It's possible to go nine and three. It's not super likely. I'll, I'll, I'll actually take, and if you want me to, I, I can figure out the odds of this. Uh, for next show. I can't do this in my head. Odds. But I think it's a fun question. So before we get to our next question, I will ask you, Bud, have you ever been to the website <laughs> charlieparkrooftop.com? I have. Because uh, if you haven't, uh, it's awesome, man. I mean, this is a really, we've joked about it before. This may be too classy of an establishment to for us to be able to, you know, really go live it up in. But this uh, this looks like a fantastic addition uh, to the Tallahassee scene. Brought to you by our friends at the For the Table Restaurant Group. It's uh, just going to be uh, nothing but a, uh, just a great option. So uh, go to the website, get a look. If you're in Tallahassee, uh, head on over. Just another uh, really <laughs> significant addition to the uh, Tallahassee landscape when it comes to uh, what they offer. It is a fantastic classy rooftop bar. Uh, it's going to be uh, just a, a great place to, whether it's a Friday night before a football game or a Tuesday night while you're in Tallahassee or if you're in Tallahassee, living in Tallahassee, great place to go take friends. Uh, great addition and, and something that I'm really excited to get over and look at. No doubt, man. I, I can't wait to get up there and check it out. It's going to be a blast. Three more questions here tonight. Let's go ahead and get to uh, Chris. He says, Hey, you guys said something on the pod where you questioned the validity of the first-round grade that Marvin Wilson received prior to the 2020 season. A group of us were discussing this grade, and I appeared to be the only one that thought in no way was that grade valid. I, of course, came up against a number of media articles that suggested he had received that grade. I, of course, may be wrong, but to explain to me how someone with that kind of grade would, A, come back to school and B, uh, fully fall out of the next year's draft. Uh, they wouldn't. It's uh, what you know that thing on on, on Twitter where, where you can post the the video of the guy. I mean, like, it's not real. It never happened. That um, oh shoot, what was that old show that he, that he's on? You know what I'm talking about? 
Oh gosh, not unsolved mysteries. Uh, yeah, I, I know what uh, I, I know what you're talking about. Oh, uh, yeah. Beyond Belief was the show. Uh, J- Jonathan Frakes or or, or Frakes, probably Frakes or Frakes. Anyway, it, it, it's it's a pretty solid supercut. Justin, if you want to throw that in there, um, that would be incredible. I actually spoke about this on cover th- uh, cover three the other day. Unless you are a super rich quarterback like Andrew Luck, whose dad was literally the commissioner of a of the Big 12, uh, I would not ever believe that a first-round grade is coming back to school. I just don't think it happens, except for, for those, those quarterbacks who are going to be fine financially otherwise. I'm just, I, I just, my skepticism meter is on like a million. I, I just don't buy it. Yeah, not, uh, not in today's landscape. I mean, may, the only time where it would happen is maybe you've got a, really, really invested program that thinks they're on the verge of a national championship uh, in that they are going to, you know, do whatever's necessary to keep a defensive tackle. But, you know, Florida State certainly wasn't in that position. And, um, but no, for the most part, if you get a first round grade, you're gone. There's, there's nothing, there's literally, for most of these kids, no other aim. I mean, that's why they, why they chose the college they did. That's their goal. That's where they want to get you go there. That's all there is to say about it. I mean, there's not, you know, there's not a whole lot more on the subject. Um, All right. So Eric writes, thought I'd use my question to help out with the pod's obligation to mention Travis Hunter at least once this week. He seems to be invested in FSU beyond what you typically see from recruits. And it brought up a question in my mind. Who are some of the best, most influential bell cow recruits you guys can think of in recent history? Guys that were not only the most active, but actually moved the needle significantly in terms of bringing other meaningful prospects with them. Doesn't have to be limited to FSU. Just curious who else fit the bill. As always, appreciate you guys. Much prefer the real discussion you bring over the unrealistic hype machine we get elsewhere. Wow, appreciate that a lot, man. Um, Noel Cash strikes back tonight, I guess. So I'm going to start with one. Actually, why don't you lead off since since I I, I don't want to take yours to work in this space. Well, I mean, when you think of Florida State bell cows, and this may be the direction you're going, it's hard for me not to think of LaMarcus Joyner. I mean, uh, you know, and I'll always, uh, I don't know that he was a verbal bell cow, but I always point to the beginning of Jimbo's transition to being Nigel Bradham. I mean, that was the first real, ironically enough, his teammate committed, I think, the week before and then decommitted ultimately and went to Miami. But that was the first real legitimate big time prospect that Florida state had gotten in, in quite some time. Uh, but as far as not only giving a program legitimacy, but then actively going out and getting other kids in the class, Hunter would be the, uh, one of the only names that could kind of erase my immediate response to grab Marcus Joyner when talking about this. I would agree with that. That's actually probably the guy I would have picked for FSU. You know, Derwin was, was certainly a good one. You know, I know for a while DeAndre Johnson, back when he was you know committed and and uh, especially in his his more younger days, uh, was was very very pro FSU. It was easy to be pro FSU at the time because they were winning national titles. One that really sticks in my mind, and this could be recency. But you remember him and DeAndre Francois going back and forth at each other on Twitter, though. I mean, I, that just is uh, yeah kind of a hilarious footnote in history uh, for me to think about. But, Do you remember uh, how bad yeah. that quarterback class was east of the Mississippi? And we said it at the time, and I was like, uh, guys, the seven best quarterbacks in the country that were at Elite 11 are all like west west of the Mississippi River. 
it was like like the guys from the East Coast are a joke. That's how it turned out. Yes, indeed. Have you thought about that class? I'm, I'm going to go back and it just if you if you're cool with just going full tangent here. I know we just hit an hour on the show. It, it was funny because we're like, what are we going to talk about tonight? And then <laughs> you know, and then we do an hour. That was class of 2015. I believe so. Quarterbacks class of 2015, west of the Mississippi. Josh Rosen got drafted. Pretty pretty talented kid. Blake Barnett, I don't think got drafted. Kyler Murray, all right, pretty nice. Again, west of Mississippi. Jarrett Stidham got drafted. Was probably going to be drafted even higher or higher if the whole Baylor thing didn't go down. Brandon Wimbush, east of the Mississippi, not drafted. Dander Francois, east of the Mississippi, definitely not drafted. Brady White, west of the Mississippi. Somehow still in college, I think. <laughs> but uh, a decent career for Norvell. Obviously didn't have NFL arm talent. Jake Browning, uh, west of the Mississippi. Went to the playoffs, at least, uh, but did not get drafted. Ricky Town, west of the Mississippi, did not get drafted. Drew Locke, I should know my geography better than this. Missouri is west of the Mississippi River, right? St. Le- Lee's Summit, Missouri. I want to make sure I get this right so people don't. Say, wait a second, Bud doesn't know where the Mississippi River is. That would be a little bit embarrassing. And yeah, it's it's definitely west of it. Okay, right, because St. Louis is to the east. Uh, Lee's Summit, by the way, is pretty west, Missouri. So anyway, he was west of it. Um, He is in the NFL. Sam Darnold, west of it in the NFL. Travis Johnson, west of it. Nothing ever really happened there with his career. Juwan Jennings ended up not being a quarterback, uh, but he was east of it. Zach Gentry, West of it, signed with with Michigan, didn't ever do anything. Uh, Ty Story, east of it, I believe, didn't do anything. Uh, Sherian Jones didn't do anything. Uh, he was west of it. But man, like the the quarterback class east of Mississippi that year, they just sucked. Like it was depressing. Dwayne Lawson didn't end up doing anything at all. DeAndre Johnson, obviously, pretty maxed out at the time. Tyler Queen. Definitely maxed out. Kid went to Auburn. Number 28, Lamar Jackson. He hit pretty good. Didn't didn't throw very well the, the, the day that the, the day that I sat there and watched Jimbo watch him throw at camp uh, at all. But you know, ultimately had an awesome career at, at Louisville and is he already won the MVP of the NFL. That shows you that recruiting rankings are not everything, but they certainly match up pretty well, typically. Um Oh, David Sills. Remember David Sills? The kid who Lane Kiffin offered as an eighth grader back in uh, 2011? Mm, that's right. That's right. He ended up being a receiver and, uh, and, and ended up, I don't know if he's in the NFL or not, but he was a damn good college receiver. Anyway, that concludes Bud Scrolls through the recruiting rankings. I, I might write an article on this. This is just incredibly bad east of the Mississippi, and we kind of knew it at the time, and it's just more, more evident now. Final question of the evening. Uh, actually, two questions here. I grouped them together. Very similar. Uh, come from Austin and Connor. Uh, Austin asks, you're probably going to discuss the Willis recruitment prior to list of questions, but how concerned are you with the traction of linebacker targets? Connor asks, when should we hit the panic button with linebacker recruiting? I would not hit the panic button yet. It's way too early. It's just something like you said that we noted. It's just interesting to keep track of. Not panicking. I do think they should have a little bit better traction with some of their more top targets than they do, and it will be a measuring stick. More or less, exactly what you said. I mean, uh, we said we were going to use uh, the Willis commitment as a barometer. I believe that's what we're doing, something to monitor, something to keep an eye on, and 
hopefully an area where Florida State has improved results on the recruiting trail. And with that, bud, I believe that'll be it. Um, I'll go ahead and wrap. I, uh, we chose not to record yesterday because Atlanta had a, a bunch of horrible storms and the power's been flickering here for the last 10 minutes or so. So I'll probably go ahead and wrap this up before we get uh, interrupted. But uh, thoroughly enjoyed it as always. If you get a chance to give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever else you find us, uh, greatly appreciated by Bud and myself. And uh, until next time, this will be the Nolcast. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Thank you.